Welcome to Advent on Table Radio. Today's sermon is from Sunday, November 28th, and is preached by Andy Welcome to the first Sunday in Advent. This is the first Sunday of a four-week season leading up to Christmas, where we especially remember God with us in the gospel stories, coming in the flesh as Jesus. But it's also a time of anticipation of seeing God with us in our lives now and in the days and weeks and months and years to come. So it's a season of anticipation as well. Our gospel text for today is Luke chapter 3, beginning at the first verse. In the 15th year, in the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. As 2021 comes to an end, we might recall two images to help us mark the year. Now, COVID's out. That was already used for 2020. So two different images that stand out. And one potent image from 2021 here in Canada is the uncovering of unmarked graves from the residential schools. That's one. And a second image, at least here in British Columbia, is that of atmospheric rivers. The deluge of rain, unlike any BC has seen before, flooding plains, devastating and even taking lives, interrupting supply chains, destroying highways. And we could take these two images or these two events as prophetic calls to our nation and to the world. Maybe a prophetic calling out even, unveiling a deeper crisis in our lives, in our hearts. A prophetic call that calls for a solution that isn't easy or forthcoming or even obvious. Maybe a prophetic moment that reminds us that the way we are living is tied to doom and disaster. For the one, being at odds with our own indigenous neighbors, brothers and sisters. And for the other, being at odds with the creation itself. I am recording this sermon on Black Friday, a day marked by hyperconsumption. It's the high holy day of a culture marked by endless consumption. And we are just in between a series of unprecedented storms that many fear will bring more flooding to our region. 
We find ourselves in the midst of a world at odds with itself, at odds with its creator. We have a tight, heightened awareness of babies being born right now into what can feel like an absolute disaster. And the question gets forced upon us. How will the evil in us and the systems we find ourselves in be overturned? Where's our hope in the face of the darkness of unmarked graves and all that they symbolize? Where's our hope in the deluge, in the flooded plains and the washed out supply lines and all that that implies? In this darkness, where is our hope? The darkness that divides us from one another, brother from sister, indigenous from non-indigenous. In this darkness that divides us from the creator. And what about the helplessness that we can feel in that darkness in the flood? It feels so much bigger than us because it is. And it can feel hard or impossible to get out of, to escape, to find a solution. It can feel difficult or impossible not to participate in the darkness itself. We're still pulled by these addictions of consumption, this fear of knowing the other, the stranger. And so we seem stuck on this collision course, entrenched in big ideas, stuck in our systems. And we can feel alone in the cosmos, just stuck here. So it's natural for us to look to our leaders, our political leaders. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is in BC as I speak, surveying the damage and bringing some much needed resources to our province. We look to spiritual gurus to help make sense of the darkness, to feel better about ourselves, find bright spots on the horizon. We look to academic experts who point to education and practical solutions. And all of these are good and necessary. But so often, they're just band-aids, aren't they? We bring disaster relief without effectively addressing our deeper addictions that may be at the root of the problem. We make land acknowledgments, maybe without any attempt or effort to know the pain and the stories of those who have experienced generational trauma. And if we do those things, those lesser things, while ignoring the deeper, more weightier things, we just put Band-Aids on cancer. Because these are human heart issues that aren't solved by prime ministers or priests or PhDs. And so we might retreat to ourselves. Well, what can I do? If I just had more strength, more willpower more education, more money. I can help fix it. And for those who have just tried that with friends and family in our neighborhoods and have gotten burned out, then we can just give up. To eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And this is a very postmodern mentality. And might this not explain our consumptive drive in general, and at Christmas in particular, to just distract ourselves from the darkness, from all the bad and the evil around us, even as we recognize that it mirrors the darkness in our own hearts, to just amuse ourselves to death. 
to shop ourselves to death, or whatever it is, to play fiddle while Rome burns. But it's in this same darkness, this same alienation, this same space of disaster that John, from our story, from Luke's story, John takes up his own prophetic symbol. And it's the symbol of Eramos, wilderness, symbol of abandonment, symbol of desolation and desert. Isn't that where we find ourselves? Isn't that feel like a place without resources and hope? place associated with death and dying. And this place, it's not just out there. It's a place located deep within the human heart and soul. And it gets worked out of all of our individual lives into our structures and our systems and our cities and our nations. It's like we need someone or something from outside to reach in. And now Luke the historian here, the storyteller, he knows the temptation, same as in our day, to look to political and religious leaders and spiritual leaders to solve the deeper problems of the human heart. So this is how he introduced John. I read it before. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, it's how they kept time in those days. What year of which reign of which Caesar? When Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Aturia and Trachonitis, and Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene, all these leaders in charge. During the high priesthood, we have the spiritual leaders, Annas and Caiaphas. Who does the word of God come to? Well, it comes to John, whose only title is son of Zechariah, out in the middle of nowhere, out in the wilderness, outside the structures, outside the temple, outside city hall outside the capital. Where do we look for hope? Where does our help come from? Who will give justice to the unmarked graves of children? Who will give hope and healing to multi-generational trauma? From where comes truth and reconciliation between a divided people? I think it doesn't come from where many of us would think to look. We're reading the gospel. It comes from the outside. It's hidden out in the wilderness. It comes from the unelected non-experts among us. It's so often the outsiders who are able to see what those on the inside so easily miss. So we might think of uh, Greta Thunberg as a prophetic voice unveiling, pointing to, not letting us get past a crisis in reality. Or it might be indigenous voices or stories or traditions that have a long history of being discounted, ignored, or downplayed. Or we might think of John, whose only title, son of Zechariah, nobody out in the wilderness, an outsider. The gospel compels us to listen to the voice of the outsider because that's often the prophetic voice. And it could be, or could it be that God, because God is outside of us, he's not blinded, he's not trapped by our own pathologies and this, not stuck in the 
system of evil that we find ourselves in, the system of darkness and division. And it's John the prophet and Luke the storyteller who prepare us to find our hope in the one who is coming. Not just then, back in John's day, but even now in our season of Advent, the one who comes into the world, God with us. This is who he is. This is what is done. This is his character. God with us, the one who comes to us. Holy is his name. And we're speaking of the one who is coming. John will point to Jesus. And we, in the tradition of John, the role of the church in the world is to still point to Jesus. Holy is his name, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be no limit. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice, with righteousness, this right-relatedness between one and the other. From that time on and forever. This is what John is pointing to in the wilderness, to help us see what we cannot see so often on our own. In the gospel, this is where the word, the word of God comes. This is where the truth comes. To the outside, the eremos, the wilderness, that desolate place. Someone who is lowly, someone who is humble, is the only one qualified to hear the word of the Lord. The only one qualified to see the truth that is so often missed by the proud and the powerful. And God's word to an estranged people, what is it here? God's word to a world at odds with itself? to a world on a highway toward self-destruction. God's word is return. Return. Come back to me and be healed. Return and be restored. John proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance just means return. A baptism of of returning, a life immersed in returning to the Creator. Stop what you're doing, says John, and come back to the Lord. Stop what you're doing and come back to the Lord. Stop putting all your eggs and your hopes and your dreams in the basket of politics to save the world and to save you and return to the Lord. Stop putting all your efforts into your self-sufficiency, your own willpower, your education, throwing money at the problems around you in hopes to solve these deeper problems. They're all great gifts, and they should be used wisely and with great stewardship, but they're not enough, never enough to change the problem rooted deep in the human soul. So return to the Creator. Stop putting all your efforts in self-sacrifice 
if I just give myself away and return to the Lord. And finally, stop giving up on life and filling it up with distractions. To distract yourself from the inevitable destruction, from darkness and from deluge and from floods, and return to the Lord. Luke tells us, as he invokes the great prophet Isaiah, the life of return is a life of preparation. A life of getting ready for an event, for a visitation. Someone's coming, an advent, an arrival. And the great promise of the gospel, which is also the great promise of advent, is that God comes to his creation. He loves it enough to participate in it. He loves it enough to face the darkness deep within it, the cancer. He loves it enough to come to the flood. He loves it enough and us enough to be with us in the midst of it. God is coming, and he is forgiving the rebellion that lies deep in our souls that has resulted in all this damage and darkness. He's inviting us to return to him even now. We are not alone in the cosmos. He is coming. And he's a coming outside of our typical expectations. Not through the normal structures and means we might otherwise set our hopes on for some relief, for some solution. And here in Luke quote of Isaiah, we get the image of creation itself bending and bowing to accommodate the arrival of the Lord. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain shall be made low, the crooked become straight, and the rough places will become level ways. We, too, are a part of that creation. We can participate in a Rearranging a radical rearranging of our whole self. So recall Romans 12.1. Our whole lives, our whole lives, our whole bodies are living sacrifices to prepare for his arrival, to return. What do you do when you prepare for another's arrival? Say for family coming to town for the holidays? What if, what if a special guest came? What if the prime minister came to your home? If you were such a one as to welcome him into your home, what, how would you prepare? The more important the guest, the more you rearrange the furniture. Ah, oh, maybe now's the time to replace the carpet. Paint the walls, whatever. When I was in high school, all of southwest Washington was flooded. My small hometown little tiny woodland, it's hit the hardest per capita. And the president of the United States, the great Bill Clinton, came to my town. He landed in a marine helicopter on our high school football field. That's all we had, apparently. And everything stopped. The whole town. People stopped what they were doing. for Traffic got rerouted. Shut down. Halls set up. Media flooded the town. Everything just stopped. The whole town reoriented their lives around this visit and the hope that it symbolized. 
the relief that it symbolized. Everybody got ready. This is the image that we're given in Isaiah and in Luke. It's that important. It's that hopeful. It's that valuable. This will all result in a universal revelation and unveiling of salvation, of God's restoration of us. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Reminds us of the older story in the Old Testament, the Exodus. It was a public event. The Hebrews enslaved by the Egyptians and they were led out with fireworks. And all the nations saw it. The word spread, the story spread. And now this, God with us, the incarnation, Jesus, called the new Exodus in John's day. And this is the image of a highway being constructed in the wilderness. This is Isaiah's image. It's an Old Testament prophetic image of lowering the mountains, raising the valleys, making a highway for God. An Old Testament prophetic image of return, of return from exile, from estrangement, from being at odds with the land and with the creator and with one another, from abandonment, a return from desolation, a return from disaster. So it's no accident that John's out in the wilderness. Um, we read him as a crazy man, and we wonder why everyone's going out to him, but he's intentional with his, intentional with his symbols. Everybody knew what he was doing. He was actually quite intelligent and thoughtful. He was taking up a symbol of hope and return. The exodus was public. The new exodus, God in the flesh with us. The life of Jesus was public for the world to see. And now this Advent 2021 is called to be public. We are called to prepare even now for the advent of our God with us. Do you feel the Aramos? Do you resonate with the image or the feel of desolation, the wilderness, being at odds, dislocated? This is the place of return. This is the image. This is where God shows up. This is the space of Advent. God is coming even now, and he's looking for men and women who have a hunger for a word from him. God is looking for those who are seeking him, preparing. Please, don't leave this to the experts. They're the ones who miss it most easily. God is looking for non-experts to learn to see him, the truth. And we have this. We know about this God and we are armed with the knowledge of his visitation, his coming. And we are invited to return and to anticipate, to have imaginations that anticipate this unveiling, this salvation, this healing, this restoration, this reconciliation. And this is our work. This is our work of preparation to trust in God's goodness and his faithfulness 
and his kindness that comes with his presence, with his advent. And here's a practice of preparation for us. One practice. This advent practice, thanks. Thanks, practicing thanks, helps us learn to see the presence and the provision of God in our daily life, the visitation. And it teaches us to trust in his healing, in his wonder, in his restoration, in his hope that he brings. And out of this trust is an invitation to reorient our whole lives around him in this anticipation of his coming in such a way that it's public, that others take notice. Because learning to see him is tied to our hearing. Where is the word of the Lord coming this Advent? God, we give you thanks that you are a God who is with us, who comes to us, who visits. God, as we wander through this wilderness in the darkness that is ever before us, God, we want to reorient and reorganize our lives around you and around the light and the truth that you bring and the hope that you bring, which isn't a wish, but is sure, based in confidence, that you are a God of justice and peace and reconciliation. And we pray those things desperately for our world, for our time and place, for ourselves. You teach us as we orient ourselves around you and prepare. Would you teach us and bring those things into our lives, into this city, into this nation, and this world? In Jesus' name. Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by Richard Charter. For more information, go to richardchartermusic.com. To learn more about our community, please go to tablechurch.ca. Father